guys can have a seat this morning. As Jeremy said earlier, we are in the season of Advent, which means arrival. And for us, that's specifically the arrival of Jesus. So in the time when Jesus came, when he was born, which is what we're going to look at this morning, um, the people had been waiting a long time for the Messiah, for the one who would come and restore and to renew and to rescue them. So there had been about 400 years of silence from God. Uh, No prophets, no messengers, essentially nothing. And I'm sure that people were beginning, the Israelites were beginning to wonder, has God just forgotten that the Messiah is supposed to come? It's been so long that I think maybe he's just abandoned us. And today we, I think we find ourselves in a similar situation. We are again waiting Right? Jesus has said he will return, he will rescue, he will renew, he will restore, he will make things the way that they were intended to be. But we are now at 2,000 years of waiting and waiting for him to come back. And as we look at the world around us and the situations that we see, we may feel like God has abandoned us, he has forgotten us, he has just kind of taken a break and kind of let things go the way that they're going. And so as we read this story this morning, I want you to think about that. Think of how you may feel like God has forgotten, like he doesn't care about your situation or that he's maybe missing in action, because I think that will help us understand what is happening in our story this morning. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read Luke 1 and Matthew 1 this morning to get a full picture of what is happening. So if you're here, it's page 907 in your pew Bible, um, or if you're following along at home or online, um, it's also in the YouVersion Bible app, so you can um, turn along with us there. And so basically, we're going to go through this kind of a couple of verses at a time, kind of talk about what's there, and at the end, we'll kind of give you some takeaways of what we can learn from this story. And so verse 26 of chapter 1 of Luke says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And so here we begin to see the situation of what's going on. Um, Mary was probably a teenager, somewhere 14, 15 years old. Um, She is engaged to be married to a guy named Joseph. Um, It's important to note here that they tell us right up front that they tell us right up front that Joseph is from the line of David. Um, This is important because there was a prophecy that one day there would be a Messiah who would come and restore Israel, and that one would be from the line of David, and he would rule forever on David's throne. If you've been following along in our biblical theology class, um, the connection to David and the Messiah should be familiar to you because we talk about that almost every week of how the the image of David very strongly points to the Messiah. And so it says in the sixth month, and so what he's talking about, excuse me, hmm. My voice does not like the weather, I guess, outside today. It's not not a good combo. So in the sixth month, so if you look back to right before this, what he means by with the sixth month is he's referring to the same angel Gabriel visiting Elizabeth 
and Zechariah six months before this. And so what happened there is Gabriel comes to Elizabeth and Zechariah and says, look, I know you're pretty old at this point, and I know you haven't been able to have any children, but God is going to bless you, and you're going to have a child, and that child will prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah, probably like many of us would do, says, I'm not sure I'm buying this. I'm not sure I believe you. Can you give me a sign um, that this will actually happen? And so the angel says, sure, um, you will not be able to talk until the baby is born. Now, the interesting thing just to note along with this is Zechariah is actually in the temple, so nobody is there with him. So he goes into the temple, comes out of the temple, and when he comes out, he can't talk, and nobody knows why, and nobody knows what's happening. And so that's what he means when it says the sixth month. And so that'll be helpful to us in a minute. And so in the same way that God sent a messenger to Elizabeth and to Zechariah, he sends an angel to deliver a message to Mary. And so let's get into what the angel said in verse 28. And it says, And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end." And so the angel greets her. She is saying, you are favored by God. God has chosen her. And we see this again and again throughout Scripture, that God chooses the most unlikely people to do great things for him. And so that should give us confidence and comfort knowing that no matter our flaws, no matter our struggles, no matter our past, no matter our mistakes, God can still choose to use us to do great things for his kingdom. But after the greeting, Mary is, it says she is troubled. Um, one is because if you read throughout Scripture, most people who encounter an angel, uh, their first response is fear, which is why they often say, do not be afraid. And so she's troubled, one, that an angel has just showed up. And second, because it was often the case that when God sent a messenger or an angel to talk to you, um, it was not a good sign. It usually meant you were in trouble and you had done something you weren't supposed to and God was coming to remind you, hey, you've messed up. Um, you need to get back on track. And so that's why it says she was troubled because she is um, expecting bad news. And so the angel then reassures her and gives her the message from God about what is about to happen. He came to give her a blessing, not a punishment, saying, you are going to have a son and you will name him Jesus. Now, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. And so God, in knowing and giving them the name, already knew who Jesus would be. He had a name. He had a purpose. He had a mission. Right? And the same is true for us. God knows our names. He knows our mission. He knows our purpose. We just need to look to him and to ask him to reveal it to us. Right, and then he says, Jesus will be the son of the most high. Basically saying he will not have an earthly father. He will be the son of God. 
And then we see the line that we referenced a minute ago, God will give him the throne of David and he will rule forever. Again, we see the clear connection to the prophecies that the Messiah would come from the line of David and would rule forever on his throne. And so Mary responds in verse 34 and asks the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And so Mary was a little confused by what the angel had said. Um, She didn't understand how this could happen. Um, It wasn't necessarily doubt, but it was more like she didn't understand how this was possible. Um, Mary only knew one way for you to be able to get pregnant and have a baby, and she was not doing that, so it was hard to understand how she was going to have a child. So if you remember back to what we said about Zechariah, Right? He didn't believe what the angel told him, so he asked for a sign. But Mary didn't ask for a sign for what the angel predicted would happen. So it wasn't a matter of what she believed in her faith. It was more an, a question out of confusion, right? which I think would put her on a pretty short list. Most of the people throughout the Bible that God chooses and shows up and calls them to do something great, most of them begin with doubts, with questions, right? Remember Moses, he said like six times, uh, I'm really not the person you should be using for this. And then at the end, he finally says, look, God, you should just pick somebody else, right? And Abraham, the same thing. Abraham's son is named Isaac, which means laughter because Abraham laughed when God told him he was going to have a child, right? So Mary, in her faith, is kind of above some of those people because she just believed. And I think we can be like Mary or strive to be like her is that we can have faith in what God says he's going to do, but not completely understand how it's going to happen at the same time. And so the angel responds to her to kind of answer her question in verse 35. And he says, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. So the angel gives her an answer to her confusion. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Um, I think this is important to note that this clearly says something else is happening. There are some theories and theologians who say that um, Mary and God Um, for lack of a better term, had sex, and that's how we got Jesus. But that is saying this is not what happened. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. So it wasn't an intimate relationship between Mary and God in that way. And so to confirm that this was truly going to happen to her, he brings up Elizabeth, right? You can know this is what it's going to happen because of what's happening with Elizabeth. God has already done what you are asking for. We can and we can trust that he has done for others will be true for us. And so knowing that Elizabeth is pregnant, which Mary and Elizabeth are going to meet in just a short while, um, we can trust and confirm that God can do it. And then he says, nothing is impossible with God. What we think is impossible, just like Mary, of having a child with no partner, is not impossible when God is involved. And we're going to come back to that one later, but I think that's an important thing to remember is that nothing is impossible with God. And Mary's response in verse 38 is this, See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said, and then the angel left her. 
Right? We saw Mary question earlier, but it wasn't lack of faith or doubt. She just didn't understand. And I wonder if when we question God, is it like Mary? Are we asking questions of God but still believing, still trusting? Or do we ask out of doubt or fear or anger or arrogance to think that we know better than God does? And so Mary, I think, shows us that it isn't wrong to ask God questions or to seek clarity when God speaks to us and calls us to do something. But I think we should watch how we respond and where those questions come from because I think that may reveal a lack of trust or a lack of belief in what God desires for us to do. I know I've often said in my life when God says, this is what I want you to do next, I've said things like, God, you're crazy. There's no way I'm doing that, right? That's not in my plan. That's not what I wanted to do. That's not the direction I'm going. And so then I ask a whole bunch of questions because I have in that moment not a desire to do that. I have a desire to do what I wanted. But the interesting thing is that when we listen and follow God's direction, he slowly changes our desires to want what is best for us, us which is what he gives to us. But here we see how Mary responds. There's no more questions. She just says simply, I am the Lord's servant, basically saying, I'll do whatever God wants. And then to follow that, she says, may it happen to me as you have said, or let it be to me according to your word, or may your word be fulfilled. Basically saying, whatever God decides to do, I'm on board. She believes that God knows what he is doing, even if she doesn't understand how it will happen, and she surrenders and she trusts. Okay, now we're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 1, which is page 855 if you're in the Pew Bible, and we're going to get, at this point, we're going to get Joseph's side of the story to see what's happening on the other side. And so we're going to read starting in verse 18, and we'll kind of do the same thing. We'll take a couple of verses, we'll talk about kind of what's there, um, and then at the end we'll kind of bring it all together. And so verse 18 and 19 is where we'll start, and it says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. And so after Mary receives her message from the angel, we see what happens to Joseph. And it starts the same way, right, that they are engaged, but it's discovered that Mary was pregnant. Now, it doesn't really say that Mary told Joseph, it just says it was discovered, and most of us know that if you're going to have a baby, there is, at some point, it's pretty obvious that that is what is happening, and you can no longer hide it. And so, at some point, it was discovered that Mary was going to have a baby. And so, this happened before they came together during their engagement, And so just for cultural, the situation right here, just so you kind of understand what's happening. In this day, when you became engaged, there was a one-year period before you actually got married. And so it was, you were basically considered married at that point, but you had to wait this one year. Basically, the one year is to prove your faithfulness to whoever you were going to marry. So if you were in this engagement period and your fiancé died, you were considered a widow. That's kind of how crucial it was. So this time was a test of faithfulness, and so if they're in this engagement period and Mary becomes pregnant, 
it's essentially a sign that Mary has been unfaithful. So that's what we're looking at. And so it tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. And this is important because it helps us understand kind of what Joseph is doing. Joseph at this point essentially had three options when he discovered that Mary was pregnant. First, he could expose Mary publicly as unfaithful. Um, The consequence in the law for being unfaithful during this period is actually stoning. Um, They didn't really do that a whole lot, but that was a potential consequence. Um, But probably she would have suffered suffered a lot of shame from a public divorce and being unfaithful. Uh, The second option was to grant her a private divorce, in which case Joseph um, only needed to give her a kind of a written notice and have two witnesses, and they would be divorced and it wouldn't be a big scene. Um, The third option was to remain engaged to Mary and not divorce her. But this appeared to Joseph to require him to break the law because he was marrying someone who was unfaithful. And so this would, um, what he chose was to divorce her privately. And I think this kind of shows us a little bit about who Joseph was. Because this, in this situation, he would have preserved his righteousness, but also demonstrated compassion and love towards Mary of not publicly shaming her. So he actually chose what was best for him and what was best for Mary, kind of demonstrating he did deeply love and care about her. And so he considered, he contemplated what to do, and he chose what he thought was the best option for everybody that was involved. And then in verse 20, we see what happens next. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And so after Joseph thought through and made his decision, an angel shows up with a message. And notice he calls him Joseph, son of David. Again, the connection to the line of David. And what's interesting is Jesus' connection to David's line is actually through Joseph. It's not through Mary. So Joseph's adoption of Jesus as a father brought him into Joseph's family officially. Because adopted sons had the same rights and privileges as biological children. And so later, if you read in Paul's letters, he talks a lot about being adopted into the family of God and saying, because we are adopted sons and daughters of God, we have the same rights and privileges as his true son, who is Jesus. And so this adoption theme starts with Jesus and carries through the rest of the New Testament. And we hear again, don't be afraid, And we're going to come back to that one in a minute too. But again, we hear, don't be afraid. And his instructions are to take Mary as your wife. She hasn't been unfaithful. She has conceived by the Holy Spirit, which I think would have been pretty hard to believe, right? Even from an angel that my spouse somehow is pregnant from the Holy Spirit and nothing weird is going on here. And I'm just supposed to trust that and believe that. And so Joseph 
probably didn't consider that in the realm of possibilities of what was going to happen in his life, but that is what happened. And so he says, you will call him Jesus, which is the same name that Mary was told. Right? His parents would not get to name him, but it would be a family name, which was pretty common in the day um, when Zechariah and Elizabeth have uh, their son, and Zechariah's mouth is open and he can speak, and he says, name him John. Everybody goes, you can't call him John because nobody in your family has the name John. Right? So they were named by their family, and so Jesus is named by his family, by his heavenly Father, with Yahweh saves so we get a little inf more information about why this is his name, because he says he will save people from their sins. And so Mary was told that Jesus would reign and rule forever, and now Jesus is told that he will also redeem people from their sins. And Joseph also gets a confirmation for what is happening, right? This time is, it a, is, it a, is a prophecy from Scripture, this quote here about God with us and Emmanuel and that he will, be, he, will be, he will be born of a virgin is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, which is about 500 years before this is happening. And so again, we get a confirmation that God can do something that we think is impossible. And so when Joseph woke up in verse 24, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So Joseph wakes up, and he responds. And his response was to obey. He did what he was commanded. And I think there's something important, but really simple here. Um, one of the things I tell my kids all of the time, usually when they're doing they're not, something they're not supposed to or when somebody gets hurt or something gets broken is, if you were just doing what you were supposed to be doing, this wouldn't have happened, right? And I think that's what we see in Joseph. He's just doing what he's supposed to be doing, what God has called him to do. And I think that would be true for us too. If we just do what God is calling us to do, what he is asking us to do, it saves us a lot of trouble, a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. But usually we say, well, I want to do this instead, or I'm going to go over here and do this, or this looks like a lot more fun than what somebody else told me I can do. And so just doing what we're called to do saves us a lot of trouble. So he marries her, he was not intimate with her, and when Jesus is born, they call him, obviously, Jesus. And so we see what God has done in this story through Mary and through Joseph of Jesus being prepared to come into the world. But I want to finish and kind of wrap this up by giving some takeaways from what we see in the story. And the first one is, don't be afraid. Right? It's told to Mary, it's told to Joseph. We've seen as we've gone through the book of Mark, Jesus say this over and over to the disciples and to other people, don't be afraid. And I think we hear this so often because I think at some level we're all afraid of something. We're afraid of what will happen. We're afraid if something doesn't work out. What if I decide to follow Jesus or wholeheartedly follow Jesus and it isn't enough? What if Jesus lets me down? Not to mention our own fears of, of failure, of insecurity, of doubt. We hear this again twice and throughout Mark. When you are with Jesus, you don't need to be afraid. 
Joseph and Mary were going to be the talk of the town and probably treated like outcasts. But the angel told them, don't be afraid. You are in God's will. You are following his plan. So don't be afraid to hear a message from God. Don't be afraid to do something out of the ordinary. Don't be afraid to let go of the situation and trust in God. Don't be afraid to listen to him and to obey. Don't be afraid. When we're with Jesus, when we're following God's will, we don't have to be afraid. And so instead of fear and doubt and worry and anxiety, we need to believe that God's promises will be fulfilled. All right, we saw God's promises fulfilled to Elizabeth, even though she was old and she couldn't have children. She had a son and she named him John, and he became John the Baptist, who prepared the people for Jesus to come. The angel quoted Isaiah to Joseph. Isaiah was 500 years before Jesus was born, but things happened just as God told them they would happen. And we know from being even 2,000 years more ahead in history than them that God has come through on so many of his promises, right? Just in these verses that we've talked about, we've seen fulfillment of the Messiah being from the line of David, that he would be born of a virgin that Isaiah prophesied. And so all of these things connect just in this little thing. And so if we believe that his promises will be fulfilled, we can know that God can be trusted. He can be trusted with our lives. He can be trusted with our allegiance. He can be trusted with our salvation. Right? One of the most crucial promises that God gives us is that if we confess and believe in Jesus that he is the Savior, that we will be saved. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to fear if your salvation is true. You can be assured. He will be faithful to forgive you no matter what you have done. No matter how good or bad you think you are, we are all broken and hurting people in need of a Savior. And we can trust Him for our salvation. We also need to believe that God can do the impossible, right? And we have proof here. A virgin gives birth to a child. That should be an impossibility. But here with God, nothing is impossible, He can overcome the situation you are dealing with, whatever that may be, whether it's pain or whether it's health problems or it's your family situation or your life situation or your spiritual situation. He can step in and change the trajectory of those situations. They could be completely changed, completely made better the way that we probably desire. Or... They could stay exactly the same, and God changes you through them. But most importantly, God can save you. You may think you aren't worthy, or you may doubt that it matters, but all that you have to do is to believe and to trust. You just need to respond like Mary. Right? I don't know how this is going to work. It doesn't make anything, any sense to me. That's not how I thought things worked. That's not how the world works. But I am ready and willing to follow your lead, whatever that may be. I am your servant, 
And whatever your word has promised, I will do that. I will follow that so that your word will be fulfilled in me. And we also need to believe that Jesus will reign and redeem. The angel tells Mary that her son Jesus would reign on the throne of David forever, right? Which is what is happening. Jesus is ruling. He was born, he lived, he lived a perfect life, a righteous life, overcoming temptation, following God's will perfectly. And then he died. Not just a normal death, but he died on purpose as a sacrifice for all of those who would not be perfect, for all of those who would not perfectly obey God's commands and his will. And his death and then his resurrection overcame death and sin so that if we believed in him, we could have life. And he rules over us and over all creation. And sometimes when we, I think when we think about someone ruling as a king, we get these pictures of someone living in a huge castle and piling up gold and riches for themselves while all, while all the people suffer. But that's not what our king does. Right? His coming to earth as a man was exactly the opposite of that. He gave up everything to come here and to be born to Mary and Joseph. And he rules us as a benevolent king, loving and graciously caring for his people. And he has provided for us, for his subjects, his actually his rebellious subjects. He has provided for us no matter the cost to himself. Right, the cost of sending his son to die for us. He has provided for us even in that. And so he reigns and he rules. But he also redeems. He sets us free as we trust in him. He sets us free from sin, from suffering, from anxiety, from depression, from addiction, from fear, from pain, from disappointment. And he makes us whole. He takes what we have, our weak, broken, rebellious minds and bodies, and he makes them whole. He makes them new. He redeems them into something good, something holy, something full of value and purpose. And he helps us see and understand our true purpose of why we were put here on the earth, our true identity. Not what we think our identity should be, not what others think our identity should be, but our true identity from our Creator. Just as God knew ahead of time why Jesus was coming into the world, right, to be Jesus, the one who saves, He knows exactly why we have come into the world. We just have to believe in Him and trust Him that He will reign and redeem us. Just as we, we finish Just remember the name Jesus and that it means Yahweh saves. It means God saves. So I think we hear the term so often that we kind of forget that, but I think it would help us to recover that, that when we hear the name Jesus, we think God saves, God redeems. And that is actually what we're remembering today with communion. And so just a minute after we pray, we will take communion. But what we're remembering is Jesus' sacrifice, that God saves, that he gave his life as a sacrifice for us, 
His blood was shed. His body was broken so that we could have life as we trust and believe in him. So you guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We praise you. We thank you that you have sent Jesus into the world, that you didn't treat us as, as we should have been treated as rebellious subjects who didn't deserve anything, but that you sent your son to live among us, to be born as a child, to live a life, a human life, so that he could understand what we go through and we could, he could identify with us. But he also did that perfectly, overcoming temptation and living a perfect righteous life and sacrificing his life for ours so that we could be given you his righteousness we could be seen as whole in you so i pray that in this season yes we would remember that god has come to save that he has sent his son to rescue us to redeem us and to reign but that that the, the beautiful baby who was born becomes the savior who would endure who would suffer who would sacrifice for our good and that is the good news of Jesus coming into the world. Not just that he was here, but that he saves. So this morning, as we remember that God saves, just help us to keep that on our minds as we hear the phrase, as we think of Christmas, as we hear happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and all of those things, that we will remember that it means God saves. God is with us. Help us to remember you. In your name I pray. Amen.